Welcome to the Natural Health Podcast, where we bring awareness of sustainable health in the business hustle space. The Natural Health Podcast is perfect for the high-performing business-minded individuals who want to work with their biochemistry to achieve optimal health. It's Friday, which means it's time for friends sharing facts about health, business, and overall success. In today's episode, we talk to Dr. Joel Rosen, who will talk about all things fatigue and how you're able to biohack your fatigue to live your optimal life. Who is Joel? Joel Rosen is the founder of thetruthaboutadrenalfatigue.com. He's an expert in repairing the broken stress response system in the body, resetting the circadian rhythm in the body. He's a chiropractor, a certified functional medicine practitioner, and utilizes his undergraduate degree in exercise psychology and psychology physiology and psychology. His private practice is located in Boca Raton, Florida, but his coaching clients are absolutely all around the world, including here in Australia. Joel hosts his podcast, Your Adrenal Fix. Joel has made his personal missions to educate doctors and patients alike on the truth about adrenal fatigue and how the impact of stresses impacts more than just your adrenals right up to the cellular level. Joel suffered with his own adrenal fatigue health concerns and now has educated tens of thousands of clients around the world about this. Interesting fact is that Joel has a certificate, certified strength and conditioning background, and he is a diehard Bob Marley fan. Welcome to the Natural Health Podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, pleasure. So what is your favorite song of Bob? Uh, yeah, you know, I was just in Jamaica uh, over the summer and I was asking a lot of the locals their favorites and that was kind of disappointed because they were going with the one that was on Legend and just the common ones. But, oh, that's a tough one. I, there's so many of them that I like. Um, I, I would think there maybe there's an off one that's called Midnight Ravers. I think that's one of my favorite ones. Yeah. Beautiful. I love Bob Marley too. That music is just absolutely amazing. And you went to Jamaica. How brilliant is that? Yes. Yes. It was fun. It was our, our second time there. Our kids, we brought our kids for their 18th birthday. They have twins and they turned 18. So we took them to Jamaica. Yeah. What an absolutely brilliant holiday. I can't wait. I would love to go to Jamaica and just explore it. What's the culture like there? Are, are they chilled? Are they? Yeah, well, you know, it was during COVID, so we weren't allowed okay. to travel off the resort, but it very, very friendly and very nice. Yaman, everything's Yaman. <laughs> I <And> love it. <laughs> food to table um, in terms of, uh, or, you know, farm to table, sorry. Um, really healthy, yummy, good vegetative vegetables and 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 kalaloo they call it and okra lots of really yeah. yummy food and different, spicy yeah different spicy. types of foods that you would have tried that's amazing that's why i love traveling i love traveling going to different cultures exploring what they eat and and just their culture their food and like you said most of those cultures actually have farm to table don't they correct yeah, yeah. they're not they're not uh, what's adulterated, you know, yeah. they, they really just they don't there. It's organic and it's not all about the almighty dollar and it, they keep the prices low and you can taste the quality in the food for sure. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Well, Joel, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. I mean, you yourself have been through a number of adrenal issues in your life and now you've made it your mission to share this with other individuals, which is absolutely amazing. I guess the best thing to start would be, what has your journey been in regards to adrenal, um, adrenal, adrenal fatigue, as we want to call it, um, or adrenal issues? What have been the key turning points and what has your journey been around about that? Sure, sure. So I, I found my passion for what I do later in life serendipitously from, from, from going through school. So I had a uh, undergraduate degree in exercise physiology. And then I got a second degree in psychology. And then I went through chiropractic training. And all of that, I was burnt out before I even started my career, not to mention how expensive the tuition was from going to a school in the US from having I grew up in Canada. So the Canadian dollar, I think at the time that I went to school was 67 cents to the American dollar. And then when I graduated, I think first time in history, the Canadian dollar was more than the US dollar. So there was a lot of debt, 
uh, a lot of studying, a lot of caffeine and a lot of deadlines and just overwhelming stress. And I was exhausted and burnt out. My wife just had given birth to our twins and I was, I was like, how am I going to do this? I, I can't, I can't focus. I can't concentrate. Where did I leave my keys? Uh, crashing in the middle of the day and, and not having a lot of motivation and drive. And then someone, a patient of mine brought a book called, why do I have thyroid symptoms, even though my blood tests are normal? And it's by Dr. Karazian. Great, great book. Yeah. Well, that sounds and great. I've got to get my hands onto that. It's a great book and, and it's a little outdated now, but it's a great book. And bottom line, there was a section in there on adrenal fatigue. And, and, I, and I was like, how did they know my story? How are they describing me to a T? And I think, wow, I had no idea about this phenomena. Why do I not know about this? I need to know every little thing about this. If I don't know about this and I felt myself being well learned, how many other people don't know about this? and how many other people have this. And so that really started the journey of me making this my life goal of, of telling the truth about adrenal fatigue. Absolutely love that. And I love that you, you're so educated. You did how many? Three degrees. That is extraordinary. I mean, one degree would burn you out. Two degrees will burn you out. Three degrees, you'll just be totally burnt out. <laughs> Yeah, it's very stressful. The deadlines and the exams and the the you know the the studying and if you put a lot of pressure on yourself to do well, I would get a lot of anxiety. That was another clue for your listeners if they're exhausted and burnt out, and they get that nausea, butterflies before you know. As a high schooler, I did track and field and. I was so fearful at the beginning of the event to, you know, be at the starting line, get off the bus to be able to compete because I just didn't handle the stress very well. That's a good clue that you have a challenge when you have a visceral physiological response to a stressor that doesn't really commensurate or equal to what the actual stressor is. There's something going on in your body um, to that's that's not working or that's that's telling you a signal that something's up mm-hmm. and does that include also going to the bathroom when you're stressed out frequent urination yeah, yeah frequent urination and then also you know having um, potentially loose stools or challenges with that as well there's lots of clues in there for sure yeah, yeah and it's interesting because that kind of would be seen as normal. Like I remember when I was at school or, you know, studying and before exams, we would all just be like, oh, everyone would just be rushing to the bathroom, coming back, rushing, and then holding their stomach, not feeling well, not being able to eat. And we all saw that kind of like as normal-ish, you know, and that was the first degree that I did. Everyone was stressed out. And the second degree that I did was naturopathy and we're all just smelling our essential oils, calming ourselves. So it's a different, it was a different world. So it's interesting that you mentioned that about, you know, how you're able to deal with stresses. Um, that's absolutely amazing. So on this podcast, we talk a lot about success. And to me, it seems like you're very successful having completed all those degrees, having your own podcast, having your own clinic and so forth. But what does what does success mean to you overall? Well, that's a great question. I think it comes down to setting goals that uh, increase not just your quality of life, um, but is contributing back to the greater good of of humanity or the community, and they align. So I I think that that's success. Success is is whatever you decide to do uh, to better mankind and to also better yourself. And if the two are congruent, then to me, that's that's an easy way to define success, not necessarily monetarily, um, but more in terms of contribution and alignment. Yeah, that's 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 an absolutely great answer. I love it. I love it. So let's go back to adrenals, right? And adrenal fatigue. There's been so much things spoken about you know adrenal fatigue means this adrenal fatigue means that you go to your doctor and they're like you know what adrenal fatigue doesn't even exist it's not even a thing okay but what would you say what 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 actually is adrenal fatigue does it even exist because some people are even arguing that adrenal fatigue in itself doesn't even exist so what are your thoughts on that yeah, it's a complicated subject. When I opened that book and saw the picture of me and wondered how they stole it and I got in there and they were describing me, 
little did I know how controversial the term was because it isn't accepted. And, and there, it, it's time for nomenclature changes, meaning the phenomena is real, but the, the symptoms are real, like fatigue, not having enough energy, not handling your stress very well, having an imbalance of your circadian rhythm. So you wake up, maybe fatigued, you crash in the middle of the day, you might have more energy at night, or you don't sleep very well. Um, but all that, that's very real. But the, the actual adrenals not outputting their cortisol or the hormone that they make at a level that is suffice or enough is very, very seldomly found in, in, the, in the actual real world, unless it's an autoimmune disease called Addison's, and, uh, and that's an autoimmune disease. So it's, to me, it's a, name, it's a changing of the nomenclature. So researchers, doctors, and, and clinicians, and also patients alike can all talk the same language. And what we're finding now is they call it the HPA axis dysfunction, which basically means in your brain, you have your hypothalamus, that's the H, the pituitary, that's the P, and then the A, the HPA is the adrenals, and they communicate to each other. And, and when we're under stress, whether it's psychological, and it could be imagined, um, or it is real, and physical, emotional, chemical, not just my boss sucks, or um, I have financial woes, but chemicals that we get exposed to lack of nutrients, lack of exercise, too much sugars, uh, you know, viruses and media, all of that stuff will signal your stress response system, your brain to communicate to not just the adrenals, but your endocrine system to be able to be resilient to that. And, and when you lose the resiliency, like you stretch an elastic too far and it doesn't bounce back to its normal strength or its normal length, that's resiliency. And there's another concept called reserve, which means you, you have to have enough gas in the tank for you to be resilient. So I think it's a changing of, of the actual definition where it involves the brain's communication with all of the cells in the body, and you should have enough resiliency and reserve to be able to manage that. And when you don't, then outward symptoms will ensue, like brain fog, focus, concentration, pain, libido, weight gain, weight loss, however, insomnia, anxiety, mm. all of those things will happen. And they're all fundamentally similar in, in, in causative reaction, like in terms of biochemistry, physiology. It just depends on where the weak link in the chain breaks. So that's probably a little more complicated answer than you had anticipated, but it's a complicated phenomenon because I even feel that the HPA axis is in a good, is, is a limited explanation of what's going on because we're learning now that the brain, the gut, the immune system, the endocrine system, the, you know, all of these systems are not individual. They're all communicating to each other in frequencies, in light waves, in chemicals, um, in a lot of ways that we're just now finding to be true. And it's really amazing to understand that, that our body is engineered to deal with stress and, and to maintain a homeostasis and maintain an environment. And when we lose that ability to do that, then sickness and chron chronic health challenges begin. And then you say to the doctor, I have an adrenal fatigue problem and you're right and wrong. And they're right and wrong in that it's not a real, just the adrenals are just tired. They need to go to the beach and relax, rack, relax <laughs> you know, relax on a, on a lounge chair. That's not what's happening. But at the same time, the communication feedback and all the cells are not keeping up with the demand and supply. So it's a long answer. So No, no, I love that you went into the detail about the HPA axis and I, and I love that you're saying that it's not just the adrenals and it doesn't just start in the adrenals and it doesn't just end in the adrenals. It's a whole body, it's a whole body um, 
not homeostasis out of balance. It's a whole body out of balance, which impacts a lot of number of things. But one cool thing while you were talking, I was thinking, you said, you know, you've got the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis, right? With these issues, do you see from your experience, most of the issues occurring at the adrenals, at the pituitary or at the hypothalamus? Where is that broken link that you said? Where does that mainly occur? It's a good question. So we're still learning a lot about the physiology, but I read somewhere that 90% of the of the challenge with the HPA axis occurs outside of the adrenals. It occurs outside of the adrenals. Uh, so it, a lot of it has to do with how we process that information with our brain. What context do we put on it? And that's when you get into emotional states and limbic centers. And, and ultimately, you got to think about it in terms of, okay, if I was just in a very life-threatening situation, I'm going to connect some emotion to that because that it's just, it's, it's inseparable from how the brain centers in, in the brain um, are located and what they're responsible for emotionally. Um, but then it signals the stress response. And then like Pavlov's dog, you can have that same emotional connection um, without the actual stimulus. And so I think it really comes down to, and we're finding more and more that the more we can control the context of the stress and the more we can get uh, breathing involved and, and the more we can um, have, have the ability to understand the impact of, of whatever that stress is. So I guess the answer to your question is it occurs outside of the adrenals, mostly, mostly occurs in the brain. And then ultimately uh, also has weak links in other systems like your respiratory system, your GI system, but comes back to that all of the systems in the body are responsible for orchestrating the responses to stress. Yeah, I love that answer. Thank you so much for, for explaining that and going into detail about that. Um, we just dive deep in, didn't we? We just went in there. Everyone's like, what's yeah. this stuff? What's the hypothalamus? Yeah. What's the hypothalamus? What's the pituitary gland? But when we draw it back a little bit, you've mentioned a few signs and symptoms about so-called fatigue, adrenal fatigue, right? But we all know the common signs and symptoms, the ones that you've mentioned. And then at the start, you did mention some that we wouldn't have thought that would be an issue. Are there any other signs and symptoms that other people may not be aware that they are linked to their fatigue, to their adrenals, to their hypothalamus, pituitary, HPA axis? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a great question. And I think at the basic level, it's our body's ability to regulate the autonomic nervous system. And when we say autonomic nervous system, the things that you don't have to think about, you don't have to close your eyes and think, okay, I'm going to make my heart beat a certain beat per minute, you know, or I'm going to make sure my blood pressure rises. Or when I go to somewhere that's cold, I'm going to make sure that I raise my body temperature or <laughs> vice versa. You don't have to do like that happens automatically. And when we lose the ability to do that, to regulate that. So a lot of women will say, yeah, I, I, I just can't get warm when it's cold out, or I can't tolerate the heat when it's hot out. Or if I stand up very quickly, I get lightheaded and I faint, or I feel like if I almost got in a car accident for the next 20 minutes, my heart rate is still jam jamming and I can't bring it down. Um, or I just get shortness of breath if I do some kind of labored exercise. Those would be the core autonomic nervous system fundamentals that are no longer being met because your stress response system is not, is not paying the bills effectively, meaning there's so much expenses of the demands of life that your income is not keeping up with that. And when I say income, your, your good thought processes, your oxygenation, your nutrition, your activity levels, your blood sugar, like all the things that help to give you the energy uh, is your income. And all the things that demand your energy are your expenses. And when those have been disconnected for so long, those autonomic nervous system 
signs and symptoms will come out. So if your listeners are listening to that, yeah, yeah, like I can totally relate to that. I can't get warm. I can't get cold. I, I have shortness of breath. If I have a stressor, it doesn't seem like I should have gotten that stressed because when I heard about little Johnny got in trouble at school, I, I just, it, I overwhelmed. I almost had a panic attack or, you know, all of these things are good signs that your stress response system is, is failing. Yeah. Thank, thanks so much for uh, going into more detail about the signs and symptoms of adrenal fatigue in a sense of being fatigued the thing that i find interesting so whilst you were talking is the fact that it is okay to have that stress response and that's a lot of things are trying to blunt that we're trying to um our society everything around us is saying that we need to blunt that stress response but from what you're saying and i'm understanding is that stress response is totally okay it is the way that we calm down and control it the way we how flexible our body is and how flexible our cells are to be able to come back down to the level that we were and how fast it comes to that is that right yeah yeah i went for a walk this morning and my i share an office with another doctor and he rides to work and he kind of came beside me and then stopped and i you know he surprised me (laughs) and i i felt like that adrenaline like real quick and and that's engineered in our body to do that now if it happens like to me i thought okay first thing i thought was why did i get so nervous right away you know perhaps i'm under a lot of stress right now as well but then i was also able to get my breathing back in and kind of laugh at the situation that i reacted that way um and so i think it takes awareness that our body is engineered to elicit a stress response when something is startling to your body, but also to be able to conscientiously don't put an emotional meaning to it and also be able to use your breathing and your tools to be able to bring it back down. And I think that's what you're saying is, is that the the quicker the, the response to stress from pre-stress to stress to after stress to be able to bring your body back to baseline the that's what we're engineered to do and i mean without that stress we wouldn't survive right so we don't want to blunt our stress response because if we blunt our stress response we would literally just be zombies in a sense <laughs> not we would just you know be not be able to survive because we would have these stresses and we wouldn't react to them to run away from that tiger or kangaroo in these days. <laughs> um, so what I wanted to ask you is a question that a lot of people go, well, you know what, my mom or my dad or my brother and sister like that, it must be my genes. What, how much do our genes have to play in regards to our stress response and our adaptability to stress and fatigue? Yeah, it's a deep question. Um, so genes, we look at genes with the enzymes and enzymes are proteins that help speed up reactions so that they happen quickly and effectively. And when, say, I inherit a gene that doesn't work at full capacity at, from my mom, and, and typically we look at that as um, instead of a C, um, it was turned the wrong way. So it, it doesn't work effectively as effective as it could. Um, to answer your question, we know now that if those genetics are are susceptible, like some people can identify with there's anxiety in the family or there's addictions and compulsions or depression in the family, or there's cardiovascular diseases, or there's cancers or immune challenges or autoimmune diseases. You could typically identify those things as family traits. And, and ultimately it's not a foregone conclusion that you're gonna get them. It's when the environment and the genetics overlap. And, and, and I work with a lot of clients that have really, really challenged genetics, but their environment is really sound so they can overcome those genetic predispositions. And then I have someone, some clients that have really great genetic you know, susceptibilities. There's not a lot of them but their environment is lousy and they have way more challenges in their health. It's when you have both the environmental challenges 
and the genetic predispositions. And those genetic predispositions may mean you don't form your neurotransmitters that help you deal with stress effectively, or you don't clear them out as effectively. And, and a lot of your listeners will relate to that, where some people have slow clearance of your neurotransmitters. Those are the, the spouses that they can't get over an argument. They just can't get it out of their head. It continues to go over and over and over again. That can be a slow clearance of those neurotransmitters. Uh, and that could be effective in certain instances for survival. I need my adrenaline to hang out longer to live. But now that environmentally, we're not being chased by lions and tigers and bears anymore. Um, and we constantly have these stressors that cause those same fight or flight responses to hang out longer. Those are actually disadvantageous now as well. So there's other gene SNPs that don't allow us to put out inflammation as well. Or there's other gene SNPs that don't allow us to produce ATP and energy as well. Um, or signal our immune system to communicate. So all of those things are, are realities, but it's not until the genetics, like an infection, bad oxygen, um, bad nutrients, physical injuries, bad thought processes, they all will create the perfect storm with those genetics now creating a health challenge. That's a, again, a little deeper than your yeah. question, I think. No, that's brilliant. I love that, that you said that, you know, you might have the genes that you're given. However, you can impact those genes with your environment, with epigenetics, with the food that you put in, with your thoughts, you can impact your genes. Yes, okay, you may have had that seed turned around, but now you are given the opportunity to determine how fast or slow you want that seed to go in a sense of your environment in regards to stress and things like that. So I love that. I love that in a sense that, you know, it, it, it's good because it gives the audience and you know, who's listening, being able to give back, get control back into their life. They're able to control it back because they can control their environment. That's something that they can control. One thing that I wanted to ask you was in regards to fatigue, what would you say would be the top three reasons for fatigue? It's a good question. So I would say we are, our eyes are bigger than our stomach. I would say that's the first reason. And, and I mean that in terms of we have so many multitasks that we do. You, you know, just as an analogy, go and look on your computer and see how many windows you have open. Right. And you'll 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 be doing one task and then you'll get sidetracked. I do this where, oh, let me just see that. And then I'll get sidetracked and then I'll look at something else and then I'll come back. We're we're spreading ourselves too wide and not enough deep if that makes sense. And I think we process so much stimuli that our brain is not really evolved to work that way. You know, I, in Canada, we had, I guess, every, you know, we had seven numbers. I can still remember my, um, my home, my kindergarten phone number, 416-496-2015. That was wow. my <laughs> phone number as a kid. But but I, I can't remember a seven digit number like that any longer. Like we don't think in that capacity. So I, I think that we just process too much stimuli, too, too much, number one. And if you put on top of that EMFs from cell phones, um, that, that also is, is there too, that impacts our body. So, so that would be the first thing. Um, the second thing would be our disconnection from the earth in terms of the circadian rhythm, because we have the light bulb and the refrigerator and TV, um, we, we don't get acclimated to the, the earth at, like we used to, where when the sun comes out, we're out. When the, when the, when the sun goes away, we're not. And, and we've lost that connection to the, to the earth. And plus, not to mention the nutrients in our foods, in our soils, and the quality of our food has been so depleted and, and I say adulterated uh, and in the fast paced world, devoid of really good nutrients. And that's a communicating signals that we need to help our flora and to help our body function properly. So that would be the second thing. And then, and then the third thing, I think if I, if I have to ask what would be the third thing, um, 
I would, it's a good question. I would probably be the, the loss of connect, controlling our blood sugar or being aware of our blood sugar and, and circadian rhythm disruption and the EMFs and the, um, the multiple stimuli and the stressors and the immune system and the inflammation, notwithstanding the cupcakes and the bonbons and the candies. Um, but it, all of that is going to cause a fluctuation of your blood sugar levels to go up and down. And if you're not aware of that and you're not having strategies to combat that, you'll see a whole tidal wave, a tsunami of blood sugar challenges in the next 5, 15, 25 years because as a society, we're not aware of, of that for sure. Yeah. Can you go a little bit more in regards to insulin resistance and things like that in regards to fatigue and adrenal fatigue? What is the clear connection there? Yeah. And, and it's good. It's really interesting. So um, if you think of what cortisol does, that's the main hormone that adrenals make. And it's they call it our stress hormone. And the three main things it does is it helps to break down glucose. So we have an increase of sugar in the bloodstream for energy. And it also helps to make adrenaline for fleeing and for coping with stress. Um, but that's not cortisol, that's the adrenals. The, it also helps to regulate our fluid balance, so our electrolytes, and it also helps to settle down inflammation. But if you, if you think, okay, well, can you tell me about the insulin connection? The, the glucose is broken down in, in, from the stored glycogen in the liver and even potentially from muscle um, to be able to pump glucose into the bloodstream. That's going to require a, a domino effect of the pancreas having to make insulin to get glucose out of the bloodstream. So if that's happening repeatedly or repetitively, then you're driving up cortisol, you're breaking down glucose, you're putting it into the bloodstream, you're causing your pancreas to signal insulin. That's going to create continuation of those loss of resilience and loss of reserves that we talked about so earlier. And there's lots of studies that show like the area under the curb with more stress causes a slowly, slowly, slowly higher levels of glucose, the more stressed we are, not even talking about your diet, because you're causing that insulin cortisol dance, which is causing your cells to be resistant. So it's kind of like the boss that constantly yells over and over and over and over again, eventually you start to drown that out. And our bodies are designed that way. When a signal continues to go for so long periods of time, it down regulates receptor sites on the cell to not over bombard or overstimulate that cell. So it's a resistance mm. and you could have leptin resistance, insulin resistance, cortisol resistance. You could have testosterone resistance. You could have all these, these resistance to chemical messengers because they're shouting all the time. And then that will drive up your fasting glucose. You'll start to see midsection gain body fat around the waist, um, having a meal and crashing and getting very sleepy. Um, and a lot of people will misinterpret that as I have low blood sugar. And I would say, well, have you actually tested and seen that it's low? And like, no. And like, well, I would bet money you don't have low blood sugar. You actually have high blood sugar. So it's just not getting into the cell. And then that's causing a increase in your cholesterol, your triglycerides, your fatty liver, the midsection weight, sleepy after a meal. If those things are happening, that's what's going on physiologically. Mm, mm, that's that's so interesting and i mean the audience might be listening right now and being like wow all the signs and symptoms that you've mentioned at the start i might be feeling that you know i might not be able to respond to stress well i might have i might have low or you know high blood sugar i might have so many forward things but then they're like you know and as we mentioned earlier my doctor is not going to recognize me having adrenal fatigue but i wanted to ask you what are some can individuals run some tests or can they figure out that they have adrenal fatigue? What, what's something that they can do? 
Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that all the things we've talked about so far, like being aware, uh, the emotional context of the stress, using your breathing to make sure that you bring it back to the baseline quickly, having good nutrients, protecting your circadian rhythm so that you're getting good sunlight. Those are all strategies um, and going to bed at the same time. Um, being aware that your glucose can be high. Um, but as far as specific tests, typically people think about the saliva test, uh, like an adrenal saliva test. And, and those are valuable because you're taking them at different times of the day and your circadian rhythm is typically going to have high cortisol in the morning, get out of bed, we jump out of bed, we should have energy. And then at the end of the day, it should be low. So you could track that circadian rhythm with the saliva test um, and especially if the saliva test does what's called a cortisol awakening response, which means within the first hour, you have a doubling typically of your, of your cortisol from the time you get up till an hour later. And many tests miss that from the cortisol test because they do it when you first get up at six and then they do it at 11 to 12 and then they do it at five to, and they miss that awakening response. So more tests nowadays look for if it has the awakening response where you do it right when you get up, you do it a half hour later, you do it an hour later. Um, so you can see if you have a, a nice awakening response. That's better than just the saliva test alone. Um, I like to do the Dutch test, which is the urine test, which also has the ability to test your, um, your awakening response with saliva. But it also looks at um, your urinary metabolites, which English means it's looking at other testosterones, estrogens cortisol, you can get more information from that. So there are dedicated cortisol tests, whether it's urine or it's saliva test is okay, but it doesn't look at, it's only going to look at the absolute number. And if it's not super low or super high, you're going to be told it's normal and you'll be frustrated. Um, blood tests are very good in terms of looking at inflammatory markers. Um, with a functional medicine practitioner, because you can infer that you're experiencing an inflammatory response, and that's going to impact your adrenals. Or you can see blood sugar imbalances, that's going to impact your adrenals. Um, and then I love to do, as you mentioned earlier, genetic testing, because then that way you can see are you not clearing out those stress hormones quickly? Are you not making them effectively? Are you not signaling your immune system? And then the best test of all is talking to the patient and asking them what's going on, right? I had a client today who I hadn't seen for a while and, and she wanted me to go over her genetics and, and, and she has major challenges when I last talked to her in March with her father who has Alzheimer's and he's being moved to a, a nursing home. And, and she told me the exact same thing that she, you know, the last time only worse because then it was just the beginning of COVID and now it's gotten worse. And, but she wants to talk about her genetics. And I told her like, the genetics don't matter right now. What matters is how you're experiencing your stress. And I always say, like I told her, like if your plane is going down, you need to put the oxygen mask on yourself first, not on, the, on your dad, right? Because if you're passed out, how are you gonna be able to support him? And, and you, you know, that, that's probably the best information you can give someone is that self-love, that, that celebration, that gratitude, um, paying yourself first and as a doctor listening to the person to hear what are the elephants in your room like is it your relationship is it your work is it your children is it your community um, is it your passion in life those are the things that I find with the clients that I work with that want to do the saliva test and the urine test and the genetic test that they haven't looked in the mirror in that instance and when they don't do that they're they're looking for the shiny object, but the, the shiny object is you. Yeah, go back to basics. That, that's absolutely brilliant. So going back to basics and understanding what is actually happening inside of you, what signs and symptoms are you telling yourself? And then moving on to if you know if you want to to tests that you've mentioned like the Dutch test, saliva, and so forth, and other blood tests. Working with a 
practitioner to put the whole picture together for you. So that's absolutely brilliant. You know, my audience might be wondering now, you know, I'm so fatigued and, you know, how can I so-called biohack my fatigue, right? Because we're all looking, like you said, for that little shiny new thing, that new supplement that's come out. It's going to give us so much energy. But what would you say are some foods, some supplements that you think may assist individuals with their fatigue? Yeah, I mean, minerals are always the best, right? So if you can't get it from the quality of your foods and the color and the phytonutrients and the bioflavonoids, and that's just basically the bright colors that you see in your foods, um, a mineral blend is always going to be good. So there's different kinds. There's liquids, there's powders, there's capsules, um, there's water solutions, um, depending on which way you want to go. But minerals are always, always, always key. And then um, obviously looking at your, your multivitamins, um, again, in the foods, like I like to defer to foods, get it from your foods. And you resonate with that because that's what you teach as well. So, um, but um, sometimes people just don't have the high quality foods and they need a good quality multi-mineral or multivitamin that's not synthetic, that's not enriched, that's not crap. I mean, cheap is, I say cheap is expensive, right? If you're going to buy a crappy supplement, it's going to, it's going to cost you more in the long run for your health than if you just would have purchased a better nutrient. Um, but things that will also reduce inflammation, antioxidants are, are obviously very good. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of antioxidants, vitamin C, vitamin E, alpha lipoic acid. Um, those are antioxidants. Glutathione is an antioxidant. Um, sulforaphane, the thing that you see in cruciferous vegetables um, or NAD, those are really good antioxidants. And then anti-inflammatories are typically, we think of the omegas, the parent threes and sixes, not such a huge fan of, in fish oils. I like the idea of more plant-based oils where you're going to get the parent three and sixes. And, and then depending on what's going on with your test results. So I know like, okay, you're having a challenge with, with estrogen. It's not clearing out effectively. So let's use DIM or I3C, uh, indole-3-carbinol. I wouldn't recommend that if I didn't know your estrogen was high because it's going to lower your already low estrogen. So it, 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 you can do basics, but then when you get fancy, just because you heard Mary does dim and she has estrogen problems that you can't do dim because your estrogen is low, right? So that's where you run into trouble um, as a patient doing it yourself and as a provider making the recommendations, not knowing. A hundred percent. Like you need to actually know what is happening, what is happening inside your body. And like you said, also the thing is you might give someone dim and it might do amazing things for them. And you might give another person dim with the same issues and it may not work as them. What it says in the book is not exactly what happens to our body. Our bodies are all so different. The literature, the research, everything's based on, you know, different individuals, not based on your body. They haven't tested your body for these things. This is why it's key to get in touch with a practitioner. It's key for them to understand your body get the tests done, talk to them, find out the signs and symptoms and move forward from there. So yeah, so I absolutely love that. So in regards to, you've mentioned a number of supplements, a number of foods, antioxidants, anti-inflammatories and things like that. To me, it just kind of seems like, you know, get in your veggies, get in your colors, make sure that your sugar doesn't drop dramatically or doesn't rise dramatically. But on that, how would you make sure that your blood sugar doesn't rise or drop? Would you have, for example, six meals, three meals, two meals, one meal. I know I'm going into like a deep hole with fasting and all that stuff, but just roughly like to control blood sugar, what would be the best thing to do in a sense? Probably it's a great question. And there's so many, you're right. There is a huge rabbit holes in that there's intermittent fasting, there's keto, there's um, paleo, there's autoimmune. Um, but, but I would say that you want to have the good representation of protein, carbs and fats with each meal, right? Because if you're getting something that may have a higher spike of your glucose, they call that a high glycemic food, sometimes white rice, or, or potatoes or starches um, can do that. And if you cut that with some olive oil or some coconut oil or some ghee uh, and a little bit of protein, you're not gonna spike those, those levels 
So that that's probably be one of the first things. I'm not an advocate of small meals more frequently. I just am not. Um, I think that it, I am really more of an advocate of we're engineered for 2.1 million years or longer to, to be nomads of the earth and to go through feast and famine. And, and I like the concept of in, in the summer and, and the fall, it's, it's plentiful. And then in the winter and spring, it's not. And our body's engineered that way. And so being aware of that, that's, a, that's more like ancestral type concepts. Um, I, I do like doing things like having like a 12-hour window where your last meal at 7 p.m., you shouldn't have anything before 7 a.m. I, I like that concept. Um, and then I like the idea of maybe, you know, a, a, a protein, carbon, fat for breakfast, if you choose, a protein, carbon, fat for lunch, a protein, carbon, fat for, carbon, fat for dinner. Uh, and then depending if you need a snack in between, which again, I don't know if you do like that's where the other thing is to track is to know. So I'm, I teach my clients to take their blood glucose levels so that they actually can see oh my goodness, my psychological craving is not a physical, physiological necessity. And then you start to have, oh, wow, like there's this whole thing that my brain's telling me I need to eat because if I don't eat, I'll die. But it's not so much that it's your, it's your psychological need for food. It's not your physiological requirement. And that requires knowledge and awareness. And that's where I'll teach people to take their glucose levels. Yeah, it's so true. It's all about knowledge and awareness. I, I love that you mentioned that because like you said, for some individuals, you know, that's they might need that snack. Some others don't. But usually, like you said, we're made to feast and famine. And what you said was quite interesting. In winter, we're made to famine in a sense. But when we think about it, most people, what do we do in winter? We eat a lot more than we would in summer. It's kind of the other way around. We eat less in summer and more in winter. But when you look at, like, for example, if I look at my family, my family live on a farm overseas and they don't eat hardly anything, not anything, limited, limited amount of food during winter, especially limited vegetables and fruit because they live off the land. And then when summertime comes, they have so much fruit and vegetables, abundance of amazing food, and that's what they eat. So it's interesting that you mentioned that concept, the alliance together. Yeah. And, it, and not, you're right. You, you added to the point in that, and you're right too. Like we tend to have it the opposite way around, but you also have the seasonal based foods in the season that they're plentiful. And, um, and we, you know, hibernating or just being in the cold, we didn't have access to a lot of different foods. So if unfortunately we had a kill that fed our family for n- number of months, we would eat as much as we can on it. And, and then we would have to wait till the next time. And we wouldn't necessarily have the freezer that would be able to, well, maybe in the winter time, but I, I think you get the point in terms of it, we're ancestral creatures. And the more we can mimic the way that our bodies have been engineered, um, the more it will work in our favor. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we could just talk about this for hours and hours and hours. But in regards to, I just wanted to ask a few more questions before we end the podcast. So in regards to some practical tips for the audience to incorporate for fatigue, we've spoken about a few supplements, we've spoken about food, we've spoken about tracking, things like that. Are there any other practical tips that you would um, advise or you would um, educate individuals to incorporate into their everyday life for fatigue management? Yeah, I mean, I think breath, breath work, for sure. You, you know, there's so many different schools of thought. There's different breath techniques. Uh, I, I think it's important because I don't think we breathe effectively, let alone when we're stressed. So being able to, like for me, I've had a huge challenge with mouth breathing. And I had a surgery recently to fix a deviated septum. And I'll do like mouth taping when I sleep so that I breathe through my nose uh, because I get more oxygen that way. And it actually, there's, there's a, a thought process that you can release more nitric oxide that will allow your body to vasodilate and deliver more blood flow. Um, so breathing is key um, for sure. 
And then of course it's, I think the two main things I always tell people are gratitude because we always feel sorry for ourselves. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, we're justified in a lot of reasons, but that doesn't make you healthy. And, 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 you know, we certainly could have it worse. You know, you look at, you know, careful what you, you know, what you're upset about, because that would be someone else's privilege. So I think you have to have gratitude because it puts things in perspective. And then, and then I always say celebration to, to my clients because we don't, we don't talk to ourselves nicely and we don't, aren't aware of, uh, or we don't celebrate the accomplishments that we have. And, and then we don't resonate with that frequency of celebration and gratitude. And, and then that on top of the stressors that we experience on a daily basis, bring us down. And, and those are free things to do. Yeah. Who would have thought there you go. Breathwork, gratitude and celebration to help you with fatigue. I love that. It's so different. It's so alternative, but it works. It works. You have to try it and see that it works. That is absolutely amazing. So look, to finish off, I want to, I like I ask all my guests as this is the natural health podcast is what is one of your health hacks that you use nearly every single day. And it's a bit of a secret, but you're going to spill it for us today. What is a health hack that you use every day to assist you? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I have I have one that I've just started recently and it's, it's mineral water. You know, I, I, I was listening to a podcast that 90% of the water is, has plastic in it and not to mention other, other contaminants in it. And I, I think that you know, going to a restaurant and, and drinking the water is not healthy because you don't, it's probably tap water. And um, I think we have to be really aware of our consumption of water. So for me, I've really gotten into mineral water. I love mineral water. It's so it's for me, it's good. That, that'd be one of the main hacks that I like. Uh, and then just, we've talked about so many of the hacks. Like I think a big part of it is going to bed and waking up at the same time and, and really protecting the hack would be protecting your exposure to lights when you shouldn't be exposed to them. So blue lights, your phone, your computer, fluorescent lights, when the sun has gone down, when you see the sun's gone down and you're still chomping away at the computer, um, you need to dial it down because not only are you releasing chemicals that cause your brain to be more stimulated, but the information, the email, the response, the demand, the, the, the news, all of that is stimulating too. So those are things I learned a while ago um, that, that I guess I didn't, I've taken for granted as hacks that I do every day. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I absolutely love mineral water too. Mineral water in a glass bottle um, that is not carbonated. It's actual mineral water from the mountains. <laughs> Right. I yes. love it. I love it. Well, if everyone, you know, my audience would have been listening and been like, oh my gosh, I absolutely love Joel. He's got absolutely amazing information. I want to find out more. Where can they find you and how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So the truth about adrenalfatigue.com is, is my website. And then I have a, a YouTube channel, Dr. Joel Rosen. And, uh, and then the podcast is called Your Adrenal Fix. And uh, like yourself, you know, putting out information just to educate people so that they can, so you can be successful in your life and help people while you help yourself. Yeah. Amazing. And you take online clients. Is that right? From all around the world? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of my most favorite clients are from Australia. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us at the Natural Health Podcast. I really appreciate it, Joel. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. Beautiful. We've come to the end of this magical. Uh, thank you for joining us at Natural Heart Podcast. And remember, the missing link between failure and success is your health. <laughs>